Hello, this is Kimberly Jonas coming to you from Boulder, Colorado. In part one of this two-part series, I spoke about the role of intimacy during this pandemic time and my belief that a return to intimacy is part of what will heal humanity and our planet. We started with a look at the two essential contributors to true intimacy, presence and vulnerability. When we start delving into presence and vulnerability, it's inevitable that at some point we'll come face to face with our defenses. Behaviors and words that we use to maintain a sense of control so that we can keep uncomfortable feelings at bay or perhaps stave off rejection. For most of us, these are systems that we developed in our childhood and have perpetuated since that time to ensure that we'll be loved and accepted. It's up to us to examine those defenses, to understand what behaviors are outdated or, at the very least, have become obstructive to our growth and ultimately our intimacy. We're experiencing extremely high levels of separation at this moment, both physically and psychologically, and that directly correlates to our experience of intimacy. And what's so ironic and upsetting about this phenomenon of deepening separation on the planet is that ultimately we all long to belong, to connect, to be part of a tribe, a family. Our greatest common fear is that of abandonment, of being left alone with no resource to save ourselves. We all have our personal unique experience of this, and yet the base fear of rejection or abandonment is the same. And so we have both culturally and individually set up systems and defenses, mechanisms of perceived control to be able to keep people at arm's length when we need to, which are at their core methods of protection against rejection. Before intimacy can truly thrive, we must be willing to examine these defense structures, to burrow more deeply into the dark corners where we hide ourselves or justify our behaviors so that we can see where we're preventing the very intimacy that we desire. Take the example of someone that loves you and wants to point out something that you're doing, a way of behaving that is hurting their feelings or making them feel invisible or outright angry. Even if they deliver their message with complete compassion, spaciousness, and perhaps an olive branch for compromise, what is your response? Are you defensive, blaming, reactive? Do you spiral into the use of hurtful language or wall off into silence because you can't see a way to get to the other side? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then your defense mechanisms are in play. Now, of course, delivery is everything. The minute we open the Pandora's box labeled personal defenses, we also have to open up the box of communication styles. I won't be delving into that in detail today, but I do want to acknowledge that nonviolent, compassionate methods of communication are essential to the process of breaking down defenses. Because blame, shame, 
guilt tripping and finger pointing will never be part of healthy intimacy. Not that you can't have feelings of anger, hurt, and betrayal in your intimate relationships, but those things are only overcome when we express them with vulnerability and a willingness to navigate through the experience with the other. So again, here we are at vulnerability. This is where our conversation comes full circle. It's impossible for me to have an intimate moment with anyone that is defended, unavailable, or unwilling to enter into vulnerable territory. Vulnerability being a key ingredient for healthy intimacy. So how do we tackle our defenses? Look them in the eye and ask them to stand down when we know they're getting in the way of compromise, closeness, and ultimately intimacy. The answer is one step at a time. Because for most of us, our defense mechanisms are very complex and intertwined. Your fear of being abandoned might be protected by two or three big defensive behaviors, such as sharp language, accompanied by building a case for why the other person is equally as guilty as you, coupled with closing your mind off to any possibility of things getting resolved. So you have to set to the work of digging down to the base of each of those defense mechanisms, one at a time. In the previous example, you might start first with sharp language, realizing that rude or harsh language is never helpful. It might have been when you were bullied on the playground in grade school or when your alcoholic father would threaten you. But when you're with a loved one or someone that you respect as an adult, it's up to you to curb that language, to test the waters of kinder, softer language, help pave the road back to middle ground. Once you get a grip on one of your defense mechanisms, you then can start to work with the other two defenses, three, four, five defenses in turn. It's important to understand that most decades old defense mechanisms have very deep root systems and often require a lot of patience and vigilance to understand and unwind. I think it's wise to seek support when doing this kind of work, a counselor, spiritual teacher, or trusted friend, so that you get a supportive and objective view of what's in play. And the truth is, sometimes we have to spend months, if not years, getting to the heart of when and why we originally developed those defense mechanisms so that we can then update our operating system to the here and now. Understanding why most of those defenses don't help us anymore and most certainly act as a barrier to intimacy. We have to keep in mind too that this isn't about an end game. It's not that we will conquer every single defense mechanism that we've ever had and blissfully ride off into the sunset of intimacy, never again to be rubbed the wrong way. However, we can commit to the task of watching for those defenses when they arise and course correct toward more healthy, self-loving behaviors that allow us to move forward in intimacy. 
This all plugs right back into our discussion about presence and vulnerability. Every defense mechanism in the book is in direct opposition to those two things. Because when I start lining up my defenses, I immediately have left the present moment. I've either left my body, started engaging my thinking mind only, regressed back into my childhood, or some combination of those things. Likewise, when I start reacting and defending, the possibility of vulnerability is practically nil. And let me be clear here to say again, feeling your emotions and allowing them to flow authentically and without defense is what vulnerability is about. What it is not about is whipping out emotions as part of a defense strategy. Those are two different things. And so we come to see that presence, vulnerability, and a command of our defense mechanisms must all be on the table for us to experience sustained and real intimacy. Of course, this isn't linear. There are a lot of moving parts to this inquiry. The key is for us to acknowledge where we have weaknesses and to do the work to shore ourselves up with practices, tools, and teachings that move the needle closer to more balance and strength over time. So that when we do get hit over the head with something difficult or unexpected, we can witness ourselves in real time and make adjustments as we go, deepening into the experience rather than shying away from it or shattering any possibility for recovery. As we all do this work, the work of inhabiting presence, vulnerability, and intimacy, we'll inevitably come to see that the health and longevity of our species is directly correlated to our willingness to expand beyond ourselves, to expand beyond our constricting defense structures, open our hearts wide to the viewpoints and experiences of others. We've all heard the phrase, it is better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And this holds true for our part in the greater whole. It's time for us all to engage with every ounce of presence and vulnerability that we can muster, cultivate intimacy as much as possible in our daily lives, risk our whole hearts for the sake of humanity. <laughs>